Inflation around the world pulling back from 40-year highs. Central banks continue to thread the needle with monetary policy. Can the world avoid a global recession? Welcome to I See Your Trade. I'm your host, Pamela Ambler. Soon we'll be joined by our special guest, Stephen Cochran, APAC Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics, and later our resident expert, Oxford economics economist, Alex Holmes. First though, inflation. How long is it going to be here to stay and when will the world get back to normal? I See Your Trade is brought to you by IC Markets, a leading high performance trading provider. Trade up to IC Markets. Let's dive right in. And for anyone listening that can't see the charts, we will talk you through the data. So thank you very much for joining us today, Steve. Let's start with the good news. Moody's Analytics believes that we can narrowly avoid a global recession. What's this first chart telling us? The map that uh, we see right now illustrates that there are actually very, very few economies actually in recession. And that's the the good news. Then those are the countries in, in red. So there are a couple of obvious ones, Russia and Ukraine, but the war, of course, has devastated Ukraine and the sanctions have hurt the Russian economy. Elsewhere, really, there's only a few economies that are in recession. We think that Taiwan is in recession right now, largely because of the downturn in demand for semiconductors and chips. Uh, Very strong demand uh, during the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic, but that has eased. So that's a, a good example of sort of that cyclical element that creates a recession. and and should come out uh, once demand picks up again. What about the U.S., the recession probability there? The thing about the the U.S. and about Europe is that there are still some very important strengths in the economy. Most importantly, the labor market, very, very strong. Employers don't seem to want to lay off at all. There's a good uh, business confidence. While it's, you know, modest, it's, it's not that they're laying off. The unemployment rate is very low and uh, wages are actually rising, which means that households are comfortable in going out and spending. I'd say the probability of recession is a little higher in Europe and we have a slower growth rate. Uh, Right now we're looking at uh, GDP growth in Europe of of something just under 1%. In the US, it would be something, you know, 1.2, 1.3, something like that. So uh, it wouldn't take much if some shock came along to actually to knock either economy into recession. But as long as we can avoid uh, that shock, uh, we should be able to uh, slip through pretty well and continue this modest growth uh, through this year. And interestingly, on the map, you have put China in the recovery phase. Will China sort of lead the rest of the world back onto solid ground, given the sort of revisions we've seen recently? Yeah, you know, when China pivoted away from its zero COVID policy in, in late December, the uh, expectation was that, oh, China's going to come back. It will come back quickly, partly because when Europe and, and North America opened up, they did come back pretty quickly. There was a lot of spending, uh, a lot of pent-up savings that was available to, to, to be spent and people did uh, spend. That happened initially during the, the Lunar New Year celebration, but it didn't really uh, last. But I think Chinese consumers in general are, are, are more cautious. There's less of a social safety net in China, for example. So people are always putting money away for illness, for retirement, for you know whatever that rainy day fund is, uh, uh, is used for. So they're not spending like we've seen uh, elsewhere. 
and elsewhere, if we look at, say, the G20 countries, inflation is still stubbornly high in Europe, in the UK, and um, the US coming down a bit, but still uh, above, way above the 2% inflation target rate. When you think about inflation data, has, has it peaked? Yes. I mean, that's the short answer. I think there are a couple of very important reasons for that. One simply is that prices of basic commodities, and particularly uh, crude oil, energy prices have come down. And of course, that factors into so many factors of production and into households' costs as well. So the fact that the commodity prices are down has helped a lot. And then the, the Federal Reserve and other regulatory bodies have been very aggressive in, in raising rates. It has curbed lending, it has slowed down economic growth and helped to uh, ease uh, inflation as, uh, as well. Historically, what industries thrived after high inflation? Uh, one is uh, real estate, and particularly residential real estate, uh, because of course, uh, mortgage rates rise in high inflation, high interest rate environments, and it can choke off demand for uh, real estate. So when inflation comes down and ultimately interest rates come down and mortgage rates come down, that can light a fire under the uh, real estate market and really help it, in a sense, to be a more normal industry rather than something that's suffering under high interest rates that adds to the cost of owning a home. And then broadly, consumer spending uh, should help as well. You know, consumers are, they know when prices go up, they know when they have to pull back or choose a lower price brand. And uh, when they feel like inflation it is better. They're either going to buy more, maybe go up to the, the higher price band, uh, brand, the more luxury brand. So uh, in a sense, brand management becomes important as well. And one of the biggest contributors to inflation over the last few years, um, as you mentioned, energy costs being a really big one um, on the back of especially the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. But the price of oil has now stabilized. Um, what is this next chart telling us? So uh, this next chart actually shows uh, exports of oil out of Russia. And this is a, a really important aspect of the uh, price of oil because when Russia first invaded Ukraine, prices spiked up to around $100 a barrel or so with the expectation that there would be very strong sanctions against uh, Russia. They wouldn't be able to export their oil. There would be a shortage of oil and prices would be uh, very high for some time. Well, the way it turned out, there have been sanctions on Russia, of course, and those sanctions have been designed, if you will, to limit the revenue that goes to Russia, but not limit global supply by basically saying, well, you can, you can buy Russian oil, but you can't pay more than $65 a barrel. Uh, if you pay more than that, uh, you won't be able to insure the shipment on the sea on the, the sea lanes. The Europeans have essentially said we're not going to buy Russian oil. China has been fairly fairly steady in their consumption of Russian oil. India, and India has really ramped up, and in a sense, it's been a benefit to India. They get discounted oil. The supply is up, uh, and that is one factor that has helped inflation and bring inflation down in uh, in in India. What has happened because Russian oil has stabilized, the production and shipments of Russian oil has stabilized. Demand is actually weaker than one might have uh, expected. So in a sense, there's, there's more supply than there is demand at the moment. There's an, an oversupply. 
So Moody's Analytics says it sees the price of crude oil settling somewhere in sometime in 2025 um, at its long-term price of roughly 70 US dollars a barrel. Uh, why is this good for inflation? What we see is that uh, initially on, on our chart, you can see that the price goes up a little bit late 2023, early 24. That's a bit of an acceleration of demand. China gets back on its feet. China's the biggest importer of crude oil. So we will see a, a bit of an uptick. Maybe we get something in, in the high 80s for a while. But then supply should catch up with demand again. There is capacity to produce more uh, oil uh, from the US and a few other producers around the world. And then that equilibrium gets us closer back to what we think is a long-term equilibrium price of something around 70. I mean, maybe 70 to 75. And again, a lot depends on, say, whether OPEC decides to try to manipulate the price again by manipulating uh, production. So a lot of uncertainty, but I think 70 to $75 a barrel is a pretty good long-term price to be thinking about. Fair. Um, and if we look more closely at Asia now, the headline consumer inflation is certainly starting to decline. Um, why is Asia doing far better than the US and Europe? I know we started at a slightly different point, yeah, and in fact, that, that's a, a critical uh, a factor that the European and, and North American economies opened up from uh, COVID sooner. And so all that pent up savings that was in those economies started getting spent and that started to begin pushing up uh, inflation. That wasn't happening at the time here in Asia. So we started later. There wasn't that much of, an, of a chance for inflation to get as high as it was in Europe and North America, with a few exceptions. Korea, Korea, South Korea, Philippines, India, they're the three that really suffered very, very high inflation. As commodity prices come in, uh, inflation is beginning to ease now in this part of the world as well. And we talked about uh, energy earlier, but the other key driver of headline CPI, that is food. Uh, so what's happening with that across uh, Asia? Yeah, we've been watching food inflation pretty carefully because it seems more sticky than overall top line inf inflation. It's still higher in almost every country. In high income households or high income economies, food is a smaller piece of the overall budget. But for lower income households, lower income countries, it's really important. And uh, that's uh, the fear right now is that those countries will face a longer period of inflation just because food is a bigger component. And what about core inflation, which excludes food and oil? Is that still running hot? Well, it's running hot, but it's coming down, and particularly because it excludes food, so it is coming down. Uh, but again, core inflation uh, is not quite as, uh, uh, not coming down quite as fast as that, that top line uh, inflation. And so monetary policy authorities, the central banks around the world, they're looking at all of these. You know, all these things that we mentioned, um, this, of course, makes it difficult for central banks to make their decisions on policy throughout Asia. What's Moody's analytics view about the interest rate outlook um, across the region? Well, I think uh, central banks are, are going to be very cautious and very conservative. I don't think any central bank wants to make a move to begin easing rates and then realize maybe they move too early and inflation ticks back up and then they've got to raise rates again. That would be uh, a policy mistake. That would be one factor that might actually lead to recession, this uncertainty in monetary policy, where are rates going to go? Investors pull back, households pull back until there's more certainty. So I, th I think 
central banks around the world, led by the Federal Reserve, will sit tight through the course of this year, maybe even into early next year. And if the inflation numbers truly do come in, and more importantly, measures of inflation expectations come in, then maybe the second quarter of next year, we begin to see a bit of an e the beginning of an easing and going, you might call it a normalization of um, interest rates through 2024 into 2025. That's a long runway. <laughs> well, it's going to be slow, right? It won't be as fast as the, as, as the climb up, that's for sure. Right. And, and it's very much a pause, not a pivot. I, I think so, yes. Uh, you pause for as long as you can. When you're sure things are better, then you begin to ease. And that's the time when the economy really begins to um, uh, see some improvement. Before we dive deeper, Alex Holmes from Oxford Economics joins us to take a look at some of the risks to the inflation outlook. Alex, what are some of the things that are likely keeping central bankers up at night? Thanks, Pamela. Yeah, I think it would be fair to characterize Steve's view here on inflation as cautiously optimistic that inflation is going to continue to fall. And our view at Oxford Economics is similar. The dual corporates of food, uh, belatedly, and fuel price inflation are starting to ease. And we think the underlying pressures from tight labor markets will ease too. But of course, to any outlook, there are risks. And in the rich world, one of those is the big stock of excess savings that households have. So these things are a little bit hard to estimate, but we think that unexpected household savings in the likes of the UK, the US, the Eurozone and Japan are between five and eight percentage points of GDP. What about uh, in Asia? Could a quick drawdown in savings surprise central banks here? The pitch is rather different in Asia, so we don't see this big stock of excess savings. In fact, in emerging Asia, some of the emerging economies, household balance sheets are a lot weaker than they were before the pandemic. Instead, we think that um, the risks are mainly still on the supply side. So Steve mentioned food price inflation earlier. We see some risks from El Nino, which the US National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration puts the chance of an El Nino event at 90% this year. So that would cause hot and dry weather, particularly in South and Southeast Asia. And that in the past has been known to damage harvests and push up food prices. Already in May this year, we saw record high temperatures being broken in Vietnam. And are all inflation risks to the upside? There is a danger of a more vicious deflationary cycle spanning from deflation in producer prices and weak industrial output. And of course, China is a massive exporter of goods and any deflation in the world's factory can be exported to the rest of the region as well. Well, thank you very much, Alex. Well, building upon that, we'll come back to you now, Steve. Uh, Moody's Analytics has developed a APAC risk matrix. Uh, you mentioned that you think the world can skirt a global recession, but there are some risks that could tip us over the edge. What are they? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the risks are, 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 are numerous. And so we create this risk matrix actually for every country. So on this chart, one axis shows the likelihood of the of risk happening and the other shows the, the potential severity of the risk. So the first place I think you really want to look is in the upper right-hand corner because that's high risk and uh, high probability and uh, high severity. There are just a number of risks. So central bank risk, if there were a global recession, uh, if there was a downturn in housing markets and tensions between the U.S. and China. Right now, a lot of production takes place in China because it's a low-cost place to do business and it's very efficient and so forth. If, if uh, production begins to move out of China to other places, 
it could certainly add costs and add friction to the pace of, of global growth. Perhaps uh, e even though one might say um, production, local production is more secure, it could be a little more expensive, which means that long-term inflation might, might be edged up a little bit through the process of decoupling uh, between the U.S. and China or between uh, the, all the Western economies and, uh, and China. You might note that in this, the lower left where the risks are, the likelihood is low and the impact is low, we've got climate change. Tomorrow, this year, climate change isn't going to have a huge impact, but every year, you know, the, the cumulative impact will grow and grow and grow. So just want to make that that's certain because some people may look at that and think, oh, you're minimizing climate risk. Well, not at it's all. It's just for now. It's that, but it's a long-term risk. It's something we need to address now, uh, but it's a long-term risk. A big thank you to our special guest, Stephen Cochran, APAC Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics. And I'll end with some words from former U.S. President Ronald Reagan. Inflation, that's the price we pay for those government benefits everybody thought were free. Thanks for tuning in to episode seven of I See Your Trade. I See Your Trade is brought to you by IC Markets, a leading high performance trading provider. Trade out to IC Markets. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next time.